1: back to another episode of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast. I'm Mike, and I'm here again with Jameson. How are you today?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Not bad. How was your week? It was wonderful. It was?
0: Especially with you. Oh, well, <laughs> I think that was the given.
1: <laughs> and we're also here with Nick. Well, thank you for having me. And this week we're talking about embodied energy, which was a topic that when we were pulling together the list, you picked. I did. I did pick this. You're right. So... First, Jameson, when we say embodied energy, what do you think of?
0: Well, based off of speeches and lectures I've heard you give throughout our years together, I believe that it is how much energy it takes to make something and also get it to the consumer.
1: Okay. And Nick, what was the thing that made you want this to be a topic? The reason I want this to
2: be a topic for us to discuss is because it's something that almost no one considers. It's something that's very commonsensical. It's very easy. Once you have it brought to your attention, you start seeing everything you buy completely differently. And you don't really need an education, like a college education to do that. All you have to do is understand the notion, well, this comes from a factory. The factory had to produce it. And then all the steps that went to get here. Like I talked to you last time or a couple episodes ago about my daughter with the straw at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. it's not something people consider but once they do it changes their outlook it's a very simple concept that has really big consequences it's like throwing a really small but very dense rock into a pond, it
1: ripples a long way and I think the purpose of this podcast is to allow new perspectives to learn something new that allows you to see things just a little different than you did yesterday and I'm glad that that's really your explanation because That means that you learned it through this process, and now you're starting to see things a little differently. That's extremely important for the future of sustainability. So when it comes to embodied energy, as a person who kind of works within that field or studies that field, that's how I measure a lot of things. Embodied energy really is the amount of inputs that are put into a product. All of the collection of the resources, the manufacturing process, transportation, There's even a use phase that is less considered, but should be considered just as much along with disposal. There's things that we only think disposal about, like plastic bags, for an example. Everybody's full assessment is only based on disposal. We leave out the rest of it. Embodied energy really tells us how much energy, how much coal, how much oil, all these things from these plants went into getting you this item. I have an example. I've worked in automotive now for several years. And at one of our plants, we make an automotive component that starts in North Carolina. They build just the casting of that item. They ship it to Italy. Naturally. You know, just right over there (laughs) to have it assembled. Okay. Where they send it back to North Carolina so that the stickers could be put on it. First of all, so that can say it was made in the U.S. because the last actions were done in the U.S. Okay. So that we can send that part to Mexico. To be added to a vehicle. Yeah, that pause was really something mm-hmm. we should have. That mm-hmm. is a single part of a vehicle that has thousands of components. That has seen more travel than I have over the last three years. That part has seen more
2: travel than you have over your entire life.
1: I've been to Italy. And yeah. Mexico. And Mexico. See? Well, yeah. I okay. am a well person. Wow. And, see? <laughs> but this is not an uncommon practice. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the part and compare it to another part and you say, well, it came from North Carolina and the other part came from Virginia and you're assessing them equally, Mm -hmm. there seems to be no difference. But if you take the total embodied energy, what are the materials? How do they get the materials? How is it assembled? How is it packaged? And then how is it delivered? Mm -hmm. There's a dramatic difference because this part goes from one side of the world back to the other. Which seems ridiculous to me. So when I look at things, I'm looking at how much diesel did the ship use? Did it go by plane? Well, how much gas was involved in just getting this part back and forth? And that's part of the talk about embodied energy.
2: Okay, and, and that, that example draws a lot of questions for me. Like how, When you say that that part had to start here and then go to Italy and go here and go back and forth before it was ever actually put in a vehicle... Is every single every one of that specific part? Is it all going through the same process? Is there only one factor that produces that part, so it ships it in the same method, or is it just for a specific model of vehicle? You know, maybe it's a little different, and that's the way they have to do it. And which isn't necessarily relevant to the topic, I suppose. But like, it just seems like there's a lot of extra steps to build a car that include a lot of waste.
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of red tape Mm -hmm. in making a part for a vehicle. In this situation, I know. That plant A in North Carolina has the rights to produce the casting, but didn't have the rights to assemble it because there's a whole lot that goes to it. There's a process, a cost, making sure that each plant is, you know, approved by the manufacturer, but their Italian plant was approved in the EMEA market. So they could literally ship this there, get it assembled, ship it back, and it would still be cheaper than trying to certify this plant. Okay. Okay.
0: so and i think that is somebody who hasn't always thought in that manner as far as embodied energy that something has and is learning about it slowly but surely and trying to bring it into their everyday lives it is very frustrating to listen to that because i saw the sticker that said made in the usa Mm -hmm. i didn't know that it went all over the world 800 times back and as you were saying from North Carolina, to Italy, to, you know, back to the U.S., to Mexico. I mean, that is, as a consumer who would like to do better, it's frustrating.
1: It makes it very hard. Because
0: it's, yes, it makes it hard to decide, well, is this actually more friendly to the environment or less friendly to the environment? And I understand that that's a lot of big corporations like to hide Mm -hmm. what goes into all that because it's not popular to announce that it's been all over the world before it got put into a car
1: right i mean on the outside looking in your first reaction nick was that seems very expensive like of course it went to the other side of the planet why wouldn't it it sounds ridiculous in shocked mode but when it comes to the consumer it is challenging because you don't necessarily always know this and honestly if you don't work there for this automotive company you don't know this so getting to know Companies, getting to know that they care about sustainability, that they're paying attention to those things. I always talk about Patagonia because they're basically the company when you think sustainable, you start thinking about Patagonia. You know, that the decisions they're making, if they're not the most sustainable, it was the most sustainable option. You know, so getting to know those companies does help, but it does make
0: it challenging
1: for a consumer.
0: Right. It's, well, and I can see where people go, well, I don't know. So whatever, you know, I'll just get what's cheaper. It's it's hard as the consumer to go, yeah, this is the way to go. But then you hear all these other things and go, well, now where's the direction I head? So I think it's a good thing to have conversations and learn about companies like that. You know, I personally have not heard of Patagonia. And I think that's something that would be good to look into.
1: I use the same example a lot because we're in Michigan. But if we go to our local grocer, we can find apples from Michigan because that is a Michigan product or apples from China. And can you imagine the difference? I mean, they're the same price. Matter of fact, a lot of times the Michigan apple is a little bit more expensive, which is amazing. It didn't come from the other side of the planet, Mm -hmm. but it's an apple. It doesn't have to come from China and still be an apple. Mm -hmm. We can pay the few cents more and it's a regional food. Right. And more...
0: you'll probably get the better health benefits from it.
1: Unlikely. I mean, I'm sure there's different processes. I know in one of our earlier episodes, Nick, you talked about the waxing of apples. Yeah, and, it drives me crazy. To, you know, to mm-hmm. keep them fine on that boat over that period of time. Essentially,
2: it preserves the luster that the skin has and makes them look
1: more appetizing. Right. Until you get into it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Or there's local honey is better for you. Especially as someone like myself who has really bad allergies. When you eat local honey, you're getting the allergens that the bee took from the plants. And it's giving you a small dose through that honey, which then eventually helps build your immunity towards your allergen.
2: Well, that's true. Did you know that a majority of uh, corporate produced honey isn't actually honey? It's a very small portion of honey and honey you buy from the stores that actually is real honey. The rest of it's corn syrup fillers
0: i did actually just read that so recently. if you
2: if you go buy like locally sourced honey that is unprocessed it's like fresh honey mm-hmm. it's full of nutrients and natural things that come from the plants the bees they actually do really good things for your body and it's a beautiful sweetener I mean, it adds great flavor to everything
1: and it doesn't have the frequent flyer miles so all embodied energy is is to start that conversation about where did it come from if you're looking at a product i am notoriously bad for using Amazon. It is the quickest way for me to get the item I want.
2: You do suffer from a little bit of
1: primnesia. I do. <laughs> and I, I appreciate you using a little bit. But I uh, slowly I'm making that change. A couple weeks ago we talked about Horrocks. It's a beautiful store. It was a fantastic place to get the fruits and vegetables. To get coffee. To get all these things that are more local. The Michigan apples. They're not flawless. But they're apples. And they weren't thrown away. I mean, I think we talked about applesauce. They take apples from Michigan, ship them to China, produce applesauce, put them in cups, and then ship them back to the United States mm-hmm. for sale. It's a heck of a lot better just to get it here. Agreed. So when we talk about embodied energies, products, a lot of people talk about it with buildings. You know, you can yes, you can have a net zero energy consumption building, but what did you take to put into it? How long... Does it have to function before you've made up for all the energy you've put in? I always talk about hardwood floors versus carpet. Hardwood floors, I tend for comfort reasons to prefer carpet. It's not great for the air. It's not great for a lot of reasons in the house. It, to me, is warming as I walk on it. And it's just something I grew up with. Hardwood floors are immensely better you know, to take care of, to keep the allergens down in the house. There's a lot of things that hardwood floors create a benefit to. The biggest is the amount of energy that carpet takes.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Carpet takes an insane amount of energy to be produced. Mm. So in a lot of episodes, you'll hear me say things like, you know, now that you know this, you'll take better care of it. If you do choose the carpet, you'll take better care of it. That's why carpet takes a tremendous amount of water. Chemical additives, materials, operations, it's just next to concrete, one of the worst. Mm, wow. And that's when we talk about like the use phase. Did you know, for an example, blue jeans
0: mm-hmm.
1: are, in the sustainable world, one of the worst products sold?
0: Oh, more reason to buy yoga pants.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe for you, <laughs> not for me. Oh, come on, don't be bashful. <laughs> Uh, The denim material doesn't need to be washed after every use. It's just, it's a durable material, and it only needs to be washed when it is either visually dirty or has an odor. So, because people wash them after every use, and they last a long time, and it takes a tremendous amount of water to make jeans and dye them, Mm -hmm. they have an insane amount of energy in the creation of them. So, you ever see people who buy the pair rip them all up, wear them a few times, then they wash them over and over and over again. Those tears come across, they throw them away. Mm -hmm. They have just used probably enough energy to drive half of their life. Well, probably for sure. And they just threw it away. Mm -hmm. In those same plants, that 16% of the energy is what's used in production shift to your home. It is a lot of energy. A lot of times when I talk about these, I talk about cotton bags versus disposable bags. When you talk about shopping. I know we're in a COVID world. I cannot take my bags to the store right now. But Jamie, when when you know I've taken those bags in the past, do you know the difference for embodied energy from taking a paper bag, a plastic bag, or taking my cotton bag?
0: If I had to imagine, I would probably lean towards, even though the cotton bag can be reused and reused and reused, it probably takes quite a bit to make it. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of torn on that. Versus... Paper bags and you're dealing with trees and plastic is a whole nother level i mean i'm not real sure it's uh i mean the obviously the reusable idea is great but do you always remember them
2: right right nick so generally speaking we only take reusable bags to one store and that's the aldi we very seldom ever take them to other grocery stores and i think it's more for me it's not that we can't, or a convenience thing. It's more of a, you tend to get weird looks walking through the store with random bags inside your shopping cart. I know this sounds kind of peculiar, but my reasons are my reasons. In terms of the embodied energy, just knowing what I know about how they produce paper and cardboard, I would have to say the paper bags are the worst. Um, while I'm sure it takes the energy to make the, the fabric for the cloth bags or, you know, whatever kind of insulated bag you use, they get reused so many times and they don't, they don't, Well, they seldom need maintenance. So once you you purchase that bag, you know, for $5, $10, whatever it is you spend on it, it's good until it's not. And then you'll either find another use for it or at one point you will dispose of it. The paper bags are single-use items, I mean, possibly two uses if you're really good at saving them, make sure they don't get ruined. Um, at one point, maybe you're going to use them as a book cover, you know, for the schools that still have hardcover books. And then they're disposable. You can throw them away, burn them, whatever it is you, you find use for them, but they're not something that you can keep around and use over and over and over again. So I would assume that is where the biggest energy comes from.
1: Well, and, okay, so there's two ways to look at this. How much energy it took to make them and how much energy embodied energy is left in it when it's disposed of okay okay the reason why i use cotton bags as often as possible is because every time i use them i get to cut the amount of energy in half Mm -hmm. it is by far by far more energy put into a cotton bag to make it to make it because it's not only cotton Mm -hmm. farming it's dyed and dyed dye is a big deal And I have to use those bags about three and a half years.
2: Yeah, and depending on the type of bag, yours might have metal snaps or a zipper or, you know, be plastic lined. I mean, there's a lot of things that go
1: into them that aren't considered. That's exactly what you start looking for, is does it have a zipper down the side for no reason? Or the
0: insulated ones for your cold cold stuff.
1: Right. And how long do they last? Is it going to last at least three and a half years if I use it on a regular basis? Because... If you don't use it that about, that amount of time, you've used more energy for less for less use Yeah. than you would have a plastic bag. While we were talking, I just double-checked on something. We use 60,000 plastic bags in the United States every five seconds.
0: Holy crap. A few.
1: Which, <laughs> which is a problem at the disposal phase. You said 60,000 every five seconds? Every five seconds. And oh. it takes a bag between 10 and 20 years to biodegrade.
3: Wow, that's crazy.
1: So if you can't get your reusable bags there over and over and over, and paper bags, as you, as we were talking about, came from trees, and we use trees way faster than we can grow them. Right. They're way heavier, talking about embodied energy, getting them from usually you know, Korea over to the United States. Mm-hmm. You can only get a uh, about a tenth of the bags as you can plastic bags from one side to the other on the same ship, which makes them kind of an energy hog mm-hmm. and it causes all kinds of ha- habitat problems even though wood is biodegradable paper is biodegradable yeah but it's not very it's not renewable
2: Not, not not in the speed
1: we use it right and that's what we talk about all the time yes it's renewable but we use them too quickly it is not sustainable
2: yeah because I mean a tree's got to live for 25 30 years you get to a size where it's you know harvestable for any realistic use i mean And
1: I've learned recently that they've switched to a faster-growing species, which means they're cutting them down quicker, which means animals don't move in and create habitats because they're cycling through the growth of trees quickly. It, in general, is not sustainable. Plastic bags come from petroleum waste. That waste is going to be waste either way. So if you can't get cotton bags and use them those three and a half, four years, It is actually more sustainable to take the plastic bags and use them as often as you can. It's now a lunch sack. And as it starts to wear, it becomes a trash bag liner. Trash can liner. Yeah. The more uses you get from anything, the less embodied energy it has. We can keep cutting it in half over and over and over again every time we get a use. So when you're looking at a product, the concept is, is making sure that we look at all the processes. Where was it made? How was it made? What was it made of? Mm-hmm. I really liked what you were saying about, you know, zippers and other pieces. Because that's something I don't always think about.
2: Well, I mean, yeah. Because when when, when they're going to sell those kinds of bags, I mean, if we're being real, if you look at like, a demographic statistically speaking, more females are going to buy that kind of stuff than men are. And so they want them to be attractive. They want them to be something people want to buy. Because if you're going shopping, maybe not everyone thinks about, you know, their bags being cute. But if you're about a 31 bag, I those are... 31 tote bags are incredibly useful. They're excellent. It's what we use to shop with. But they come in so many different designs and patterns and frills and bells and whistles because they want people to keep buying them, even though you don't need more than one or two. We get hundreds of uses out of our bags. We have four or five. They all look completely different. And they're all the exact same bag. That One was dyed red. One was black. One has polka dots. Mm-hmm. You know, one starts your car in the morning. Um <laughs> My point is though is that like they add a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily needed. So when you talk about embodied energy, that stuff makes a dent. Like it really does make you know change what goes into the bag.
3: Yeah,
1: and it, and you can almost see it after a while when you start thinking about embodied energy. You start looking at everything that's involved. I look at a lot of packaging. Mm-hmm. I can see two toys side by side. One's got three or four layers of plastic packaging. One's in a cardboard box. Yeah, still lots of energy involved. Mm-hmm. But one of these has had six production line processes mm-hmm. just in packaging, where the other one maybe had two. Well, I mean,
2: this is, we all went into coffee this morning. Here's a great example. So we got coffee, one factory made the cup, one factory made the lid. And then it comes with a cardboard sleeve that is, you know, recycled cardboard. And then. Which they is printed or stamped. Yeah, yeah, which is stamped. And so right and there. There's, there's
0: three glue to keep it.
2: Yeah, closed. there's so many things that go into this. That's just for a five dollar cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know how many times I've done this rant. Sorry, hun. You can probably just you
0: know. <laughs> I'm just gonna turn off my listening part. Yeah, just
1: here. take a break for a moment. But <laughs> we were at a family party last night, and they just had a huge pile of the individually wrapped plastic silverware. It is a knife, a spoon, a fork, a salt, a pepper, a napkin, all In a plastic wrapper. And when you look at those, it it makes my brain itch. Because I know the silverware came through on three production lines. Yeah. I know the paper was produced, processed, and bleached, which is Mm -hmm. at least two or three lines. Mm -hmm. That the salt and pepper are their own. Mm
3: -hmm. Not counting
1: collecting the materials, processing the materials. They make a lot of salt. They put tiny amounts in all these little... Yeah. there's
2: a whole super factory for when they grind the pepper they send it in bulk to places for different purposes
1: right uh, and then and they got to print salt print pepper here's your nutritional facts about salt here's all this other information <laughs> on your tiny tiny little packet where mm-hmm. they ship them all to another place where someone puts one of each in a, in a little plastic cover yeah. and seals it and then ships it across the world to us so that we could pick it up with our food, drive it to our home, and people could open it, take the fork, throw, throw the rest away, and eat. I forgot the process where they cram all those in one in another box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, there is a, and they print that box. So, and yeah. they label that box. <laughs> they print
2: that box and label that box. That box is put on the truck, which is then taken to a bigger store, which is then put on another truck, which is taken to a Gordon's, which is where your mom got it, which is just goes. <laughs> don't forget the stamping. Kitchen essentials wrapped cutlery 59 99 all that for sixty dollars
1: yes <laughs> yes and but in the meantime all the energy it took for all those other pieces of the single use items that got no use
2: yeah and yeah. so we use the same ones at work um I have a, a bin which is I'll be honest I hate doing dishes. And so what ends up happening is I have people who come up to the counter all the time. Just I just need a fork. Well, this is what I have. So they take the fork out and they throw the rest on the counter. So i throw it in the bin. So when you fast forward and I'm eating my food, I just pop open someone else's salt and pepper because that or it was going to get thrown away. I mean, you're the one that said the only thing worse than a single-use item is a single-use item that doesn't get used. It is. (laughs) I mean,
1: think of all the travel and energy and work, each one of those pieces in there has a blueprint. Someone has drawn it on CAD. They've had meetings about the sharpness of that knife. Is there enough plastic in that fork that when you go to stab the food, it actually stabs the food? There's meetings involved. There's (laughs) conference calls. There's all these things that happen so that my son can go, ooh, salt. Take the salt out, put it in there, throw everything else away.
2: I completely understand. i see it with grown adults. It's every day because that's what we use on um, one of our locations. And I probably go through a half case a day. So there's 100, 100 pieces of that seven and one in the case. I go through 50 a day just to watch most of it get thrown away. I mean, honestly, because really it's just the forks the salts, no one uses pepper, no one wants the spoons. Very seldom they need a knife. Pay or the I almost said pepper towel, the napkin that comes in there is just about useless anyway, so they never <laughs> get used. It's
1: always <laughs> useless, it's just it's ridiculous. So it's been, been over processed on five different production lines,
0: yeah. And I feel like we're in a weird point in life right now because while yes, we want to be cautious and no, we don't want to condone those types of packaging right now, in the Quote unquote COVID era, that's kind of what you have to do is separately mm-hmm. contain everything. So, because typically if you went to a baby shower, or a wedding shower, there is a cup that has forks displayed on it. There's a cup that has. You know, knives, there's a cup that has spoons. And if they don't get used, then, you know, mom or grandma takes them home and saves them for the next baby shower. plastic or
2: puts them in a Ziploc.
0: Yeah, and and then, so it's, but we can't do that right now. So it is a little hard. There
1: are some options. There are some options where we bring our own. Yeah. There are some options where we save a few for those who didn't. There are, uh, one of, <laughs> I'm going to bring up Hawaii again. <laughs> Remember when we, we went to a place... For the ice creamer, oh yeah, and that was funny. They don't give you a spoon. Your, your your all your food is kind of in this little container, and you just kind of deal with it. But they have a cup out front with spoons in it, but it has a picture of Greta, and she's staring
2: at you. Greta, Greta the young kid. <laughs> she's very frowny in the picture, oh, too. Lord. Just a reminder. <laughs> this is getting political. Uh, just just a little <laughs>
1: reminder before you take the spoon. And I remember I went. I kind of looked and I'm like, I'll just eat it out of the cup. <laughs> and I left the spoon. It reminded me that the muscle memory of grab the
0: spoon and go. Well, and it wasn't hard to eat it. It wasn't a. It wasn't a. It was not difficult. Yeah, it wasn't an item that was hard to eat out of that cup. I can't remember. It was just. Wasn't it a frozen yogurt or like a, something along those lines? But yeah. it was just so <laughs> funny.
1: It was kind of cute, but it was a reminder oh, wait, think before I do this. Can you don't I eat really it? need this. I don't really
0: need, need it. Need no.
2: versus convenience is really what yeah. it boils down to.
1: And it. And it And let's be honest, if we used metal silverware over and over and over and over and over and over for these events, you don't necessarily need the plastic ones anyways.
2: Well, I I agree. I think that in that regard, when you have family functions, specifically and uniquely to family functions, it's acceptable. Other than being maybe a little impractical and not wanting to do dishes, it's okay if you guys (laughs) have big get-together. Even during COVID, big get-together, metal silverware. Just wash it when it's done. Mm-hmm. When it comes to strangers or dealing with the public, that's not so easy. They're exactly. more, like, like, where where I have the MTA contract, they're more than welcome to bring their own. Some people do. There's a handful that have their own. They have a, actually, there's this an older fella. He's got the coolest thing. It is, I think, I could be wrong. I think, though, it's a it's like a roadside, like, kit for, like, wrenches that he just keeps, like, knives and forks and spoons in. So he just rolls it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's maybe a foot long and it folds up like a knife bag like I'd have, but it would never hold a chef's knife. He just takes the stuff out, eats his lunch, wipes it off, puts it back, rolls it, sticks it on his belt. It's the coolest thing. Yeah,
1: and it's funny. I've always taken, when I go to work, I take my own things. The cup for the soup I'm going to warm up and these things. But when the editor was going through the book, we talked about some of his changes. Mm. And that was one of them. I got a phone call from my editor who said, just so you know, I've taken some extra silverware I got from Goodwill and a, an extra plate and I'm just leaving it in my desk drawer. Okay. Well, hi. Good to, good, <laughs> good to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> Me no, too. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> it is a, uh, it, there's little changes that make a big difference because if you have a fork and a knife in your drawer, the longer you work there, it's more beneficial. Yeah, the more it gets used. The course. more it gets used and the less that was used the work doesn't have to pay for, or mm-hmm. you don't have to pay for. The head, less that has to be produced, less that goes in the trash, less that goes in the and the composting. Mm-hmm. It's just there's or landfilling. There's so much stuff that just doesn't happen because you brought a fork to work mm-hmm. and you, you just rinse it off and throw it in your drawer.
2: Yeah, the life the lifetime benefits of the choices, even though it might seem like a small mundane choice, and yet it involves a tiny bit of labor with you washing your own fork and knife off every day but the lifetime benefit for the earth is quite a bit.
1: Well, and with an embodied energy you're always cutting it in half every time you use it. Mm-hmm. So if you're using even the plastic fork if you use it three times at least you've reduced it. Mm-hmm. But after a while it starts to degrade and you throw it away for another. But if you use the metal one, you're never you're always cutting that total down lower and lower.
2: Yeah, and you're lower. never going to re-smelt the metal. It's not like it needs to be repaired.
1: Right. It's just going to be the work fork. <laughs> mm-hmm. if you have broken your work fork you're eating wrong.
0: Well, and real quick, to give you guys some insight on when we first moved in together, I brought all my silverware. He had all his silverware. Mine's way cuter, and his was from Goodwill, and I'm like, oh, we're getting rid of this. We're throwing it all away, and we're, and Mike would not let me get rid of these. We have, and to quote one of my friends, like 50, 1,100 forks, <laughs> knives, and spoons that as much as I hate to say this, we use all the time when we have the family come over. It is a bag handy. of silverware that is just random Goodwill silverware that Mike would not let me throw away. We have tons and tons mm-hmm. of plates and you know, mismatched or whatever, but that is what we use when we get our big giant families together mm-hmm. at holidays and birthdays and. Everything else, and as much as I hate to admit it, he's probably right, and I was probably wrong. But you didn't hear that. Well, that's <laughs> the, Love the, that that's been recorded. the, the <laughs> needs
2: versus like well, needs versus necessity, or needs versus wants. However you look at it, I have three kids. They go through an unimaginable amount of silverware. Yeah. One time, I accused my kid of uh, the boy, the oldest, of using a different spoon every time I took a bite of ice cream because it didn't. <laughs> No matter what, it, it doesn't seem like we can keep cleanings in the house. And now, fast forward eight years, I now have 200 sets of silverware in that house, thanks to someone getting married, I don't know who. <laughs> Hello. And it's it's still a, a reasonable argument. It doesn't really matter how many we wash. They're constantly gone. Yeah. And even though it's not necessarily ideal to have mixed, you know, matched silverware, because it's a nice concept that everyone has a matching set, it all eats the same. Spoon's a spoon. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you have 10 different teaspoons with a different handle. That that little vehicle is still getting that food to your mouth. So I I totally understand what you're saying. But listen, there was a time in this guy's life where he would buy... (laughs) Sets of things on clearance, sets of plates, and instead of washing them, he would just throw them away because he didn't want to do the dishes. I guess before his, he learned about embodied his, energy, oh yes, <laughs> well before his, college, he just wanted to save water. That's all he was looking for. <laughs> well,
3: he wanted to save um, no, it was doing effort, the dishes.
2: Effort. I'm trying
1: <laughs> to trying to help I you would out here. To take that credit, it was effort. Yeah, uh,
2: so like the fact that he keeps that stuff, and I'm not any different. I still have the. Um, the first set of dishes I was ever I was given uh, for my stepmom for my apartment we still had and we were going through our cupboards trying to figure out what to do with them and there was it's you know four small plates four dinner plates four really small plates and four bowls well I didn't just want to throw them away so now they mm-hmm. sit in the apartment attached to my house So whoever lives there uses them because there, there's nothing wrong with them oh yeah there's no reason to dispose of them they, they're perfectly fine they don't match the other plates I have mm-hmm. but they're still functional.
1: Well, and you brought up a point that I want to loop it back to the embodied energy side is, yes, I did get those from Goodwill. But there's a reason. Same thing with the bags. I tell you, it takes about three and a half years if you buy a cotton bag to use it once every couple of weeks to make up that energy. That changes when you buy it from Goodwill. It had a life already. I'm just extending its life. Everything I can get that's used by Uh someone else Or I give away to someone else to continue its use is a bonus time. I agree with that. And so there are things that I get at garage sales or swap meets or Goodwill that fit my needs that I'm just purposely trying to extend its life. Because we throw things, quote unquote, away as if away is a place that we never see. Yeah. And my goal is to try to get as little as I can getting thrown away well you it's hard to do with kitchens because many things
2: for a kitchen are expensive because they're meant to last for a long time a good set of pans will run you a couple hundred dollars a really good set of pans around you a couple thousand dollars most people have an eclectic mixed, matched set of pans and if they do get to a point in life where they get a, a brand new set they cherish them until you know they get passed down to someone else so for places like goodwill to kind of sell that stuff It allows you to kind of go there and pick and choose the things that maybe
1: you weren't able to get brand new, but you need. I think it's wonderful. Well, and most, and I can tell you through most of my life, a lot of things have been mismatched and no one has ever called it out. They may have noticed, but it was never a deal breaker with being a friend of mine. You know, so the functionality was there Mm -hmm. a lot of, and yes. I will say that my loving wife has noticed a lot of mismatched things, especially things (laughs) like blankets. Now, I wrote down a couple of things that I just want to make sure I say here, and that is kind of equivalence. Some of these are not one-to-one, if you will. Like, for an example, one chocolate bar is the same amount of energy put into that chocolate bar, all its printing and all its wrapping, as 30 cups of soup, of noodles, Now, granted, those are not equal foods. You're going, I want the chocolate. But (laughs) chocolate is a high energy item, you know, much like coffee, which I drink the heck out of. But an 8-ounce steak. An 8-ounce steak, all the energy, all the water for the cow, all these things divided by its size. For an 8-ounce steak, you can have 100 chicken breast. Are you telling me that one candy bar, granted, you didn't specify size, so I'm just
2: assuming you mean like a standard Hershey bar. Yes. Is it equivalent to how many things in noodles? Thirty. And uh, are you when you say cups of noodles, you're referring to like cups of the prepackaged dried ramen?
3: Yeah, I mean, is just that the basic inclu- is that right. including
1: adding the water and having to heat it yourself? Mm-hmm. The amount of energy that it takes to process chocolate, along with its ingredients, and to get those ingredients.
2: From oh yeah, because they're, they're from indigenous countries and aren't anywhere near here.
1: Which a lot like cocoa, for an example, is becoming harder because of climate change. Same thing mm-hmm. with coffee. is a big one. Yeah. So. The energy it's taking to to get these resources to make this chocolate bar that is gone within seconds can feed one person one meal for a month. Eight seconds? You mean a second? <laughs> the the eight ounce steak versus a hundred chicken breast. Yeah. The uh, did you know in, the amount of energy and materials it takes to make a cell phone? That same amount of energy can charge that cell phone for fifty years.
0: Well, then why does not that stay charged for
1: 50 years? Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of these equivalents that kind of allow us to see. Like, concrete is a massive energy hog. But how, how much concrete do we have in our built cities? A lot. No, how is it an energy hog? I need you to explain that to me. Especially with concrete that includes rebar? So not only is it the collection of that material, the you have to mix multiple materials to make concrete. Mm-hmm. Tran- it's very heavy. So transporting it is in smaller lots or and or more energy mm-hmm. to get it all over the country. Okay. Then there is the using it with other sources like rebar. Most of our construction is construction concrete is rebar reinforced.
2: Yeah, to help. I understand that part. Yeah.
1: So now we look at that material, but there are materials like glass, which we've discussed before, and aluminum that do. Glass takes a lot of energy. Aluminum takes an uh, ma- like massive amount of energy to make aluminum. But once it is aluminum, it can always be recycled back at only a fraction of that energy cost. Aluminum is almost just like glass, almost one hundred percent recyclable. So for in front of me right now, I have a plastic water bottle. This, once it's empty, unless I use it in some other way, will go in the ground. Because there is no other use. They, I can it put it in the recycle all of it bin. cycles, yeah. I can put it in the recycle bin. That is practice for when someday they can use it. Because they can't use it. It's going in the ground. But if it was an aluminum can, and I did the exact same thing, that aluminum can will be another aluminum can. It
0: mm-hmm. can
1: be an aluminum can. So when we look at these materials, and we look at the embodied energy, recyclability is important. The plastic, if they recycled it, would use way too much energy for what they would get out of it. Generally, yeah. Generally, when they recycle
2: plastic and only certain kinds of plastic, they just chop it up and add it to other things.
1: It's downcycled. It, it loses its ability to be what it was. Yeah. It becomes something lesser. And,
2: yeah. So they're, 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 I'm trying to think of what the product is. They, Indoor-outdoor carpet. Most of the well, time. That's an option. But
0: well, no. I'm we seriously kids. I would love to have indoor outdoor carpet throughout the whole house. I personally,
2: <laughs> I hate carpet. I've never liked it. But I like I like hardwood. Just the feel of the home. It's better looking. It, it feels great.
1: It, I love it. Yeah. But if we used aluminum and glass, a that lot would hurt your more. feet. Not for carpet. <laughs> I don't think either of those would be very comfortable. Very slidey, but not comfortable. And cutty. <laughs> but if we use if we chose our materials better, mm-hmm. we could really change a lot of energy profiles. Either.
2: I agree. Actually, you I'm sure you're the one that shared it with me. And this is going back a long way to, I would say, when you started college or slightly before, you had showed me a video called Solar Roads. And it was a four or five minute presentation over the benefits to roads that were essentially giant solar panels. They were super thick, like a type of glass or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that is still to this day one of the, the the coolest concepts I think that they really should go they should at least attempt it in places that don't get snow and ice
1: actually it's better in places with snow and ice because it produces heat and mm. melts it so okay. you don't need a snow plow coming through. You don't need salt dropped on those roads. Mm. It actually has a heat element to reuse some of that uh, solar. I tank.
2: understand all of that. All I'm concerned with are bad tires and a lot of water and slippy sliding. <laughs> there is.
1: Now, according to that, and it's been a long time since I've looked at that, the frictional coefficients are very similar. They have purposely pitted the glass in different ways. Yeah, to give it to give it that same coefficient. You still drain water off the roads the same way. You still do all these same things. It is in a sense a one to one driving source. And you're also not planning to put it on the expressway. Yeah, they would really should be an in city solution because you also can light them up and give and create the lanes with LED.
2: Yeah, and as long as you they weren't on like, uh, how do I word this? They weren't on the main roadways where you would have like, you know, 40 or 50,000 pound over, you know, oversized vehicles Mm -hmm. going over them. They should stand up in theory to the standard travel just fine. It's been, how many years were you in school?
1: Uh, I was in school for eight years.
2: Well, there you go. It's been almost a decade since I've seen that video. And I still, it's fresh in my mind like yesterday. It was a really, really great concept and maybe not financially practical and maybe not practical in the technology that was existing then. But I think it's awesome. I
1: wish they'd do it. Yeah, it's, and I've never looked into the embodied energy portion of it. But these are the things that we look at. We we start looking at our consumer choices a little differently. My my loving wife here has heard me say, if they have it in a can, can you please grab the can? That is, I like the flavor better also. Temperature is different between plastic and aluminum. And it is and I know that it is recyclable. That is all a benefit to me. Oh
2: well, for sure. I mean it when it comes to if we're still talking about soft drinks, flavor definitely better in a can. But I mean, other things, I mean, food, beverages, all different kinds of stuff, generally speaking, was available in glass or aluminum. So why buy the plastic? Mm -hmm.
1: We went into this, hey, we can make it super cheap. You know, I talk about why buy a spatula for $10 that will last my whole life when I can match my next five kitchens by buying five spatulas that look different at 99 cents. You know, I think you said your mom, like, what's in the country t- container today? Hey, yeah, it's, it's potatoes. Yeah, it's uh, it was for me it was, or something else. Ooh, cookies. Are they decorative cookies or are they sewing materials? Oh, the cookie tins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my yeah. mom uses those for pitcher cans. Like, <laughs>
2: yeah. oh my God,
1: cookies. Nope, that's me when I was two. Okay. <laughs> so, but that is the mindset that's going to have to come back. Uh, there yeah. just isn't enough materials to go around and we can't just keep throwing them in a hole. We, we need that space. So I think we kind of already know how to do it. It's just there's a stigma that if you go to work with a country crock container with your lunch in it, someone's going, hey, you brought butter? (laughs) And you're going, no, it's my Tupperware. And they go, "Okay, the dollar store is right there. But that dollar store is part of the problem.
2: I think, I agree the dollar store is part of the problem, but I think that there's a lot of uh, kind of like low level anxiety about that kind of stuff. And you just touched on it you said like, you know, you brought butter, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people don't want to be seen as poor or, you know, like they need something. I personally don't really care what our food is in as long as it has a lid and it gets used or thrown away before it goes bad. I don't necessarily want to go open something up and, you know, be staring at mold. Right. Personal preference. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Just saying. I think most people don't. Um,
2: <laughs> but there's a big issue with that kind of stuff. There's a there's a big you know aspect of our d- daily life that is disposable. It's ingrained in all of our culture. We were talking before we started recording about fast food and like my nine dollar burger wrapped in paper or served in paper or foam. It's terrible. And it's and I don't when I say terrible, I'm just going to think the culture of it. It's so disposable that you you sit a spatula. Okay, well you can buy a spatula for 8 or $10, a real nice one. Mm-hmm. and It'll have a good durability. It'll have it forever. And it'll last a long time. Or you can go be like those single people that are going to go to Dollar Tree and They get a spatula and a rubber spatula and a whisk for a dollar. All three together as a three-pack for a dollar. And then one of those is going to break within the first time they use it. So instead of going and buying it, you go buy another one. So when you calculate all the things they purchased
1: for that cheap price, they could have just spent it on the good one.
3: Yeah, and, and and you have
1: it forever, and it's it's functional, uh, but that's not that's not how our consumer culture
0: is designed right now. Nope, that's oh, and sometimes no, sometimes it's not feasible. When me personally, when I moved out, I could not afford a fourteen dollar spatula. Totally understood. I couldn't afford to feed myself half the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's and that there is so, a reality to that. Right. But when we hit a
1: point, when you hit the adult part of your life, when you hit a point to where you can get something once. If the problem is we like to shop as, mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a culture. Right. So if it breaks, you get an opportunity to shop. Instead, what's happening? Well, what should be happening is, is once you buy it, you never consider buying that item again. My grandfather used to preach to me all the time about durability, picking brands that last forever, mm-hmm. that if you're always buying the same tool over and over and over again, you're a guy with one tool because <laughs> you never had the money to buy the second tool. You never Mm -hmm. collect tools. And the same thing happens in your kitchen. The same thing happens in any
0: room in your house, just like the garage. When you go to redecorate, you're like, oh, I no longer want... Like when red was like a really big color in houses, everyone used red accessories. You know, that was a thing. Well, red is no longer popular. Now it's like your light blues and your... So okay, I bought this pillow for my couch, but now I need a new pillow for my couch because I changed my wall colors. And, you know. I Right.
1: Do you sleeve it or do you
3: throw it away? Right. And the
0: girly part of me is like, but I really like this new one at Target that looks like this. (laughs) (laughs) And,
2: And from the side of embodied energy, buying a new sleeve for your old pillow probably is the same amount of energy, if not more than just buying a new pillow. It probably it's mm-hmm. no different because it still took time to produce that fabric. And if it's a sleeve, that means it's got a zipper. And that yeah, metal it's, takes it's
1: been dyed. It's, yeah,
2: it, it takes time. So like really what do you do? I mean you just take your education and you make the best choice you possibly can. And generally we're a consumer culture, we're probably gonna choose to buy it. We're probably gonna choose to do what we want with our money and our home.
1: Well and that's okay, the reason why we have these conversations is so that you spur the thought. I'm going to go back just for a moment to the pillow. Well, are we really going to leave the bright red pillow not matching the rest of the room when that's something important
0: to you? I mean, you would, but I wouldn't. I absolutely
1: would because (laughs) I just see it as a pillow. But I've been told, I've changed my opinion on that. And um, so, so what are the options? Do I buy a new pillow, give this one to the kids? Do I have another pillow I can use here? If the answer is... It's better because it is better to sleeve it than it is to buy a whole new pillow because there's more materials in that whole new. Maybe that time you buy it, you sleeve it. You do the thing that is comfortable in your home because you're thinking about all the decisions you make in life. Anyways, you've already started this reduction process. Mm-hmm. You make this you make these decisions knowing, OK, if I buy this sleeve for this pillow, I want it to be this pillow for a long time. I'm going to make it this pillow for at least this many years.
3: Mm -hmm. That is
1: worth it. I'm going to do it. But in the meantime, it's in the back of your head. Where else can I cut? What else can I do that isn't, you know, isn't going to cost a bunch of embodied energy and something else? Hopefully we've spurred some thought for listeners this week. This is just really just a discussion on embodied energy to give an idea so that next time you go shopping, you look at it just a little bit closer. Seeing if maybe there isn't a better option. If there isn't, get what you want. But always look. That's the most important part. We appreciate you listening. I'm Mike. I'm Nick. I'm Jameson. Thank you, Jameson, for joining us.